Welcome to MotivationAddict.com with Julie Salon. This is where you will find inspiring stories on how to motivate yourself and gain momentum towards success, turning fear into confidence, and how to find divine flow, allowing you to crush your goals. Thank you for being here. And now, let's tune in to today's show. Welcome, everyone, to Motivation Addict. My guest today is Colleen Campbell. She graduated from UMass Amherst with an equine studies degree and completed a year-long internship at the UVM Morgan Horse Farm. In 2009, she developed horsemanship yoga with her friend Sheila Thorne. And in 2016, she founded Heroes, Horses, and Hounds, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to saving two lives at once by rescuing unwanted horses and dogs to be retrained for service and animal-assisted programs designed to give independence to people with disabilities. This allows the person involved to gain their self-worth and self-confidence and really heal themselves because we all believe that animals are the greatest teachers for finding joy and fulfillment in life. So Colleen Campbell is the trainer, the instructor, and president and founder of Heroes, Horses, and Hounds. And I love our interview. I think you're going to get some really amazing information from it. Check it out and let me know what you think. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and listen on. Thanks. Hey, everyone. It's Julie Salant from Motivation Addict. How are you? I am super, super stoked today. I have an amazing guest, Colleen Campbell. And I'm just going to read a little bit about her because I'm going to let her t- introduce herself. But she's the president and founder of Horses, Heroes, and Hounds. She's a trainer, an instructor, and also the founder of Horsemanship Yoga at Campbell Equine. I want to introduce you more, but I know you have so much good stuff to tell us. So welcome to the show, Colleen. So happy to have you here. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me on. We're happy to be here. So I love your background. So you've been uh, with horses since you were two years old, was it, that I read? I mean, how did you start working with horses? Yeah, well, when I was two, I started asking for a horse. Nobody had anything to do with horses in my family. so I Me too! Much- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a horse person thing. Either you're born with it and you come out that way or... <laughs> or totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I started asking when I was two. My parents got me the rocking horse and all that other things. And finally, when I was about 11 or 12, I convinced them it wasn't a phase and they allowed me to do riding lessons. And then from there, I was just with horses the rest of my life. Awesome. That's awesome. I was just talking about this with somebody yesterday thinking that, yeah, you come out born this way. Um, It's something that's akin to us as breathing. And I know I have a lot of equestrian listeners, so I don't have to explain it. But for those that aren't equestrians, it's something that we can't get rid of. And I kind of always think, well, some people like boats, some people like cars, but horses are our thing. So it's just kind of our, our deal here. Yeah. So how long have you had Campbell Equestrian? Tell me about that. So Campbell Equine officially started around 2008. Okay. Um, so I've been training horses and teaching with other barns and other places before that. But really in 2008, I was able to take what my mentor had taught me and start developing my own programs. And horsemanship yoga came along shortly after that. So I want to back up a little bit because something in your bio was really interesting to me and I love it. And that is the gentle way that you learned how to work with horses. Uh, It's not the breaking, it's not the old school way. It's more of opening up that connection. And I'd love to learn a little bit more about how that works for you and what that looks like. Yeah, so my mentor, Joe Delano, was fantastic, and he is—he still lives right around the area. He's a wonderful horseman, um, and he started out following the Bill Durant's method of natural horsemanship, yep. um, and natural horsemanship has kind of taken a few different paths now, so I don't really want to call it natural horsemanship so much, but um, really what his whole teachings were and what he taught me was if there's something going on, it's usually your fault, <laughs> so you have to figure out what's going on in you that is cueing the horse to do what they're doing. And instead of making the horse fill in for you, it's finding out what the horse is telling you and changing yourself so the horse can respond in a way that you want. And when a horse responds in a way you don't like, you make it a little more clear by saying, sure, do you want to go fast? We can go fast, but we're going to go in a really small circle, so it's really hard. And as soon as you slow down, we'll go straight and it'll be easy. So doing those little things where you make the right thing easy and the wrong thing hard. And that's kind of where all of the training developed from there. So I love that. And I'm all about that. And my trainer was the same way. It's kind of like the onus is on us. We have to learn to how to, you know, approach them, how to have that communication. So I'd like to know from your point of view, your students, do you teach your students 
not only how to ride, but mindset tricks or tips on how to approach the horse to, so that they can get what they want out of the horse and the horse is happy as well. Yeah, so I kind of tell people that I teach people how to train their horse rather than just ride. Um, so I teach them how to communicate with their horse. I teach them how to look for what their horse is telling them in their body language, how to look for soreness, how to look for reasons why if the horse is not doing what they're wanting him to do, always to look at yourself first and then to look at the physical if there's something going on with the horse. And then from there, treat it as a horse that just doesn't want to do it and make it easier to do what you want to do than what they want to do. So I do teach my students everything right from the ground up, how to groom, how to even down to how to hold the hoof so that it's more comfortable for the horse, like all the little stuff. And then it builds right up into riding. Wow. Wow. So it's all about building locks and having that horse be comfortable with the person from the ground up. I love that. And I do a lot of groundwork before I ever get in the saddle because I think that everything on the ground is a continuation into the saddle. Do you agree with that as well? Absolutely. If you don't have a good relationship on the ground, you're not going to have a good ride. How can listeners improve the bond with their horses? If, say, let's just say, for example, they have a horse and they've been riding for a little while, but they feel like things are just not clicking right. Do you have any suggestions that might help them open up that communication a little bit better so that they can have that bond and have that better ride? Some real simple things. Um, being present is one of the biggest things that we have a challenge with because we're constantly thinking about junior has to get picked up at school at two o'clock and I've got to go get the groceries, I've got to do this. So I have 15 minutes to do this, this, and this, and then I have to go. And it's really not the way horses work. So being able to give yourself that time, whether it's the five minutes in the car before you get out of the car into the barn and just breathing and you can call it seated meditation or you can just call it clearing your mind, whatever works for you, but it's just sitting there, letting all those thoughts go through your head, going, yep, okay, I'll take care of that later, and just breathing out and just getting focused on your horse and what you want to do there and start envisioning what you want to do at the barn. Do you want to just go out and have a nice day with your horse and connect to them? Do you want to go out and have a really good ride and do certain things? And when you're there picturing that, you actually picture exactly what you want to happen so that your brain starts to focus on it, your body starts to focus on it, and then when you go to see your horse, they get that little visual of what you want to do. And depending on what you believe, it could be that the horse is picking up from your body language, could be it's picking up from the visuals that are in your mind and it's picking that up. Um, but it really does translate to the horse when you're present. And then also taking that time when you're grooming to really pay attention to your horse. Be mindful of what you're feeling. If you're grooming something, the horse flinches, check that spot. Maybe they're sore. Check the way the horse is carrying its tail. If it's carrying it off to one side or the other, it might be sore on that side. Check the foot for heat when you're kicking up the feet. Like all of these little things, checking for the physical stuff gets you present, gets you connected to your horse. And then when you get on and ride, there's obviously a lot more stuff to be aware of, but really being mindful of just connecting and feeling your horse is a huge part. Yeah, and I agree with you because that's a, that's something that we all can work on because being mindful and being present, being there, so you're not thinking about yesterday, you're not thinking about you know what we're doing tomorrow um, is really important because they're in the present at all times. Um, I love that you teach that and also that you're, a lot of times we groom and I want to ask your, your thoughts on this. So um, one of my great friends told me, they do not put a timer on the horse. So let's just say we're going to the barn, we're going to do some work. And you know, that person, oh my gosh, I only have half an hour. I got to get out of here. I got some other stuff to do. That never works because they're on their own timeline and they're going to feel your pressure. Do you believe that they should just kind of like when it is what it is and don't put pressure on in terms of time because we already have enough pressure on ourselves to be perfect because we're all mostly A-type people. <laughs> <laughs> put that timer on there that's when your lesson goes so much longer than you were expecting once you get that mindset you've got all the time in the world you're relaxed the horse is able to relax with you and you get done what you want done in the time that you want done but once you put that time frame on yeah, yeah. and all of my students know I'm like yeah I we're going to shoot to do something at this time but I work with animals so it could be a half an hour <laughs> so all of my students know we don't do anything on time the sessions our lessons are not a strict hour they're Sometimes they're a little less, sometimes they're a little more. It's just whatever time we need and the horse needs to get done what we need to get done. That's amazing. That's amazing. I have noticed, and I'm not pointing 
fingers at anybody, but I've noticed that a lot of riders have begun to start carrying their phones in their pockets. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts when they're on their horse and they're texting and stuff? What do you, what do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, I know we get it, but I, I, I bring it up because we're talking about yeah. mindfulness, right? So it's right. pretty important to. It is. And when you're texting on your phone, you're not present. When you're taking pictures of your ride, you're not present. Like it's one thing if you're out in the woods, you've got a really beautiful spot and you want to remember that and you want to say, hey, look what I'm doing with my day. That's one thing. But of if course. you're on the horse, the whole time and your phone shines and you stop riding to look at your phone that's a totally different thing and having your phone on you when you're out in the woods on a trail ride is a safety thing so it makes sense there yes it makes sense to use it as a safety measure or as something that's going to capture a moment that you can remember that is really important to you but not something that's going to keep dragging you back to your daily life and get you out of the moment yeah yeah and I feel like they give us so much and they're present. So we should give them the same respect and be present for them. And I always think I've got like a thousand pounds underneath me with a brain. So I need to pay attention here because he can move really quickly and things happen so fast with horses. I mean, I broke six ribs just on a 180 degree turn that happened in one millisecond. And we were not even, we were just walking back to the barn. It was nothing. Yeah. Maybe having that phone in your hand, remember your reins, you're only going to have one set, you know, one hand to do your reins and you're not going to be focused. So I love that being mindful and being present is a huge part of what you teach. What are your thoughts on, and I know I'm I'm throwing random questions at you, but I'm thinking about what our listeners and what I'd like to know. Do you have any thoughts on how to get a nervous horse um, around the whole mounting block if they've kind of gotten a little bit nervous if I'm a little bit of a nervous rider sometimes, I'll admit. Um, and it seems like he begins to walk off, which is not safe and it's not cool. How can we remedy that? Um, it's a lot of just a few consistency type lessons where you make it really short and you make it all about the mounting and that's your whole lesson. Yep. Um, so usually what I do with horses that walk off on the block is that we just work on getting up and down. So we get up to the horse, we put our foot in the stirrup, and we back it way down to the baby steps that we do when we're starting a horse. Yep. Up on the block, if they start to move, we'll do some groundwork from the block. And we just convince them that, okay, you can keep moving, but we're going to keep working and we're going to keep switching direction. You're going to have to keep doing these little turns on your hindquarters and it's going to be a lot of work. So don't you want to stand still? Yes. (laughs) You decide to stand still, you go, okay, good. And then you get down and you... You can have the option of either just putting them away and that's a lesson for the day and coming back the next day, or you can give them a break for a minute and then you go back to the mounting block again. And this time you put your foot in the stirrup. If he starts to move around, take your foot out, do the same little stuff. It depends on what kind of a level rider you are, but when you get the foot in the stirrup, you can also lean your belly over Mm -hmm. the saddle and do some work with just having him come around one ring stop. And then you finish getting on. And if he moves again, then you do the one and stop. And then you get off and you just keep doing that. And your lesson just becomes, let's stand still. And once you stand still, we're done. So it's a little bit more involved with the timing and the feel because you really do have to know exactly when to give that release and when to, because um, you're not asking him to move. So you have to make sure that you're not squeezing in any way. Um, but that's the basic idea behind it is we're going to move as much as you want to move. And when you stand still, like I want, we're going to be done. And that's it. (laughs) Well, I love going back to basics because I think that's super important. And I know that even the best riders in the world, they're always going back to basics, right? It's everyone that you see on TV or at a show that's doing really great work has always gone back to the basics and we always can learn more. My horse knows how to stop because when I bought him, he knows this. I've just become lax, right? So again, this is all about me accepting that less performance, less than performance. So I think we just have to, again, be mindful of these little things can mushroom into larger things. And especially if you're out on the trail, you don't want your horse walking off when your legs up. I mean, we've all done it. We've all seen it, but it's, it's a safety thing. Yep, exactly. And it's all about the foundation. You get a crack in the foundation, you don't fix it. It turns into something that's going to burn down everything. You're right. So it's really focusing on those little things and really, and I do teach all of my students really be pay attention to all these little things because these little things if you take care of them when they're little it's no big deal if you ignore it and then it turns into something else and something else all of a sudden it's a huge issue 
and people are like, oh my God, I have this horrible, terrible horse. I'm like, no, actually, you just have to go back and fix this. <laughs> because don't, yeah, I agree with you. And don't you think that we're always giving cues, right? And, but sometimes we're not giving them the right way, number one, and we're not giving them consistently. Exactly. There's a lot of times that we give mixed signals without realizing it. Um, and that was kind of the premise behind the horsemanship yoga. Yes. Is getting people way more, or way more aware of what their body is doing. And we do a portion of it bareback so that we can have people do the poses on the horse, not just for the novelty of doing the pose on the horse, but for really the idea of putting somebody out of balance so that they can actually feel when I lean this way, my horse's muscle drops out from underneath me and my horse moves away. This is why I have my horse who fades out on my circle when I turn right every time because I'm dropping my shoulder and I'm sending my horse out to the left. So it's all of these little things that when you pay attention to being straight and soft and not squeezing and not braced, we do a lot of seated um, savasana, like um, just checking in with all of your joints and muscles, making sure there's no tension because that could be sending your horse forward. And a lot of times when people are trying to stop, they tend to pull on the reins and lean back. Yes. Which that happens, your seat bones drive into their back and it sends them forward and then they pull back harder and now you have a horse with its head up and its back hollow that doesn't want to stop. So I have a lot of people that come to these clinics and I'm like, so what's your biggest challenge? My horse doesn't stop. My horse doesn't turn left. My horse doesn't. I'm like, okay, great. When <laughs> <laughs> they give me those because like within two seconds I can fix this. I'm like, okay, well, if you do this and you sit this way, you do this with your body and all of a sudden the horse is like, oh, no problem. Let's go this way. I'm like, That's great though. So what does the class look like? Everybody's on their horse. So they're bareback. The, the entire so, time? Nope. We have, um, usually that class is run as a little mini clinic. So we do about a four hour session. Okay. It's, um, we start on the ground. We do some uh, poses that are really beneficial to riders. So core strengthening and relaxation, hip openers, those sort of things. A lot of breathing, a lot of relaxation. Um, we have people kind of imagine something that makes them nervous so that they automatically hold their breath so that they can be mindful of what that feels like and what it does to their body. And then I do that all the time. I hold my breath and I didn't realize it. <laughs> Not just you. Everybody does. <laughs> I didn't realize I was doing it until my trainer's like, you're holding your breath. Breathe, Julie. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when you hold your breath and I can have, I have people do it at home too, when they're not around their horse. I'm like, just picture, just sit down in a chair and really feel your butt and feel your seat bones and the connection to the chair mm -hmm. and then hold your breath and hold it for a minute and see what happens to your seat bones and see what happens to your butt. And people come back and like, oh my God, it was so weird. I couldn't feel my seat bones touching the chair anymore and my muscles were all tight and I was lifted off the back. I'm like, exactly. Wow. <laughs> so what happens when you're in the saddle? So we go through that in the ground and then from there we'll go onto the horse bareback and we'll do some very simple poses. Um, like if anybody knows yoga, like the phases of the moon where you kind of go over this way, over this way, up straight. Uh, and it just, purposely puts people off to the side and out of balance mm -hmm. so they feel what happens when they take the rein and they twist their body and drop their shoulder, collapse the ribcage, and they can feel the horse's response to it so that they can really have a good, not just a understanding analytically, but they can feel it happening in their body. And when you feel it, you can really fix it. And then from there, we'll go on and under saddle and we'll fix whatever challenge that they said they had. So we'll take all the information they've been building and we'll put it right into their ride. That's awesome. That's awesome. So this sounds like it's not a one-off, right? They could continue this class for quite a while to make them more supple, to make their horses more supple, and then just to understand, you know, how, if you're off balance, how that affects not only you, but your horse, and then how to correct that. Right. And yeah. these are all, all of my programs are tailored for whoever takes the class. So I don't have cookie cutter programs ever. I always take whoever signs up, whatever their challenges are, and focus on building a class for that. Okay. And then when they do their riding piece, it's an individual. I either have one or two people riding at a time, depending on how good the class is. Okay, so that's awesome. Very individualized, let's work on this for you, let's work on this for you. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about visualization. I am a key believer being an empath and so sensitive that my horse can... Uh, I can, he can get the pictures I'm sending him because I thought like move over and I'm thinking it and he does it. Do you think that's true that they can actually get the images that we have in our minds if we have a good enough bond with them? Yeah, I believe so. And I believe I haven't really delved far enough into it to whether I believe they actually get the picture from my mind or if they get the message because when I picture it, 
my body starts doing yes. what needed to do to happen. So whichever way they pick it up and whichever way people believe it comes through, it's fine because it works. Yeah. And it really is. You picture whatever you want. And I always teach my students this too. Like we do little, little exercises like, all right, move that left foot forward. And I want you to focus on just moving that foot forward and just start picturing that happen. And usually before they even ask for anything, the foot moves forward. And they're like, oh my God. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I believe that that is a very important piece. And I teach in visuals and I have people really, I don't want them to analyze everything we do. So everything is about feel. I'm like, I want you to picture it. I want you to feel it. Yeah. And the more you're in alignment with your mind, your body, your spirit, because a lot of times we ride and we ride just physically, right? And our minds elsewhere thinking of the next three steps. That's right. what, that was my thing. And that's yeah. not, and the horses are present. So that's when they get a little like, wait a minute, you're, you're giving me cues for something that we're not even there yet. Yeah. A common, a common trait amongst some of the, the people that you've taught. It's very common. Okay. And that's actually what I have to teach every one of my students is, all right, I want you to focus on you. And that's why I always have them do. I'm like, focus on you right now. What are you doing? Feel your horse's hips, move with your horse. And once they start focusing on them, they start focusing on what they're doing right then. Yep. And when they go up into a transition or anything else, I have them start to feel the transition in their body first. Mm. So that before they even ask for it, their body is already starting to feel that and their body starts to move in a certain way. And soon enough, the horse is picking up such subtle little changes in their body. And if they're consistent enough with it, like you want to go into a canter and it looks like you're just riding telepathically because all you do is you sit down, you curl your seat a little bit just as you're about to add your leg and your horse is like, oh, we're going to canter. And it's just super soft and easy and it's amazing. And it's, it's amazing. Great. It's an amazing feeling when it happens because you think about even just wiggling your fingers, not your whole hand, right? We're, we all know just your fingers, they feel everything, everything. Yep, and collection, collection is a big one where people tend to get really tight and really rigid because they're thinking they have to hold their horse in that position. Yes. And as soon as they do that, the horse gets rigid and then the top line gets rigid and everything happens. And I'm like, no, they actually, you, they can feel when you soften your shoulders. They can feel when you soften your arms. So if you're rigid and holding them, they're not going to be happy in that collection. As soon as you soften your shoulders and soften the joints and really focus on your arms, not the collection of the horse, not the picture so much that you want, but focus on you, focus on the feel you want when your horse is collected, your horse will do what it needs. And then also mirroring, they mirror your skeleton. So if your horse needs to get collected, he has to bring up his lower back. So if your lower back is arched, he can't bring up his lower back in order to step underneath and get that collection. So you really have to focus on kind of curling your lower back and bringing your belly button in. So you kind of, you almost feel like you're riding in a little bit of a C shape. Mm -hmm. And then your horse can mirror that and then they can do it. So it's a lot of, a lot of being aware. So they not only mirror your, your physical form, but they mirror your emotions too. Yep. So do. one thing that, you know, you, it's like, I'm talking to my trainer right now because when I lunge my horse, I hold all my tension right here in my shoulders. Right. And yep. he would not lunge for me correctly, although he's a pro at it. But when she had him on the line, he was great. And she said, what do you think the change is? And it's the energy. It's just the energy. Yeah. So I started trying to relax my shoulders and my arms, like you're saying, all the way down the line because he could feel everything. And then also sending joy to him. Like, this is not hard. This is fun. This is great. Think how great it is to be here. And things changed fast. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think a lot of us go into this so seriously, like we have to do ABC, we have to accomplish this, and then we get hard on ourselves, we're hard, hard on our horses, yeah. if we don't accomplish what we wanted to, whereas we should give both of us some grace and say, it's okay, it's okay, tomorrow's another day, every day's not perfect, right? Right, and you've got to reward those little tries, whether it's you or your horse, you have to accept where you are, some days you're going to be on and you're going to feel amazing, you're like, I'm the best rider in the world. <laughs> And you go the next day and you're like, I am the horrible, most horrible person in the world. I can't ride. I can't do anything. I can't even leave my horse. And you're in tears. It's just, you just have to accept that it is what it is. It's, you know, it's a journey. It's a, it's a journey, a long journey. And there's a lot of steps along the way. And you just have to say a lot of times you, you may be having a great day, like you're saying, right. And your horse is not. And then it's, so that's when it, it happens. It's like angels sing. It's amazing. You know? <laughs> But it's, it's all part of learning. 
It's all just a, it's just how we learn. And I'm just learning energetically how to best react with them and to be calm and breathing is yeah. probably the biggest mindfulness technique that you can give listeners what you had said about that. I think that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I really just have a lot of times I have my students focus on the hips. Um, and there was a trainer that I went to see, uh, Mark Rashid. I love his teachings. And he was talking about how when you're trying to get in rhythm with your horse, just focus on the back legs because that is basically your hips down or his hips down. Okay. So if you just focus on the back end, you can find that sitting trot. You can find that canter. You can find the rhythm so you can stay in the saddle and really move with them. Okay. So every time we're working with my students, I always teach them, pay attention to the hips. Always have at least half of your brain focused on what the hips are feeling like and what are your hips doing and moving with that horse and allowing him to move you and really getting in tune with those hips. And everybody teaches it. It comes from behind. It comes from behind. But it's really, it really does. And focusing on those hips and focusing on you moving with those hips really allows you to find that canter stride so that you can sit that beautiful canter or that sitting trot that some horses have a really nice smooth one. Other ones are choppy. Yeah. You can always find a way to sit to that trot if you're focused on the hips and mo moving with the hips. And that's another great step back to basics, right? Yeah, it is. Keep it simple. Move it. So simple. <laughs> and and yeah. another thing that has always worked for me is having that safe space. Do you encourage that as well? Like, let's just say you're, you're learning something difficult, but it gets too much for yourself and too much for the horse. It's too much stress to have a place to go back to. That's a basic, maybe a basic movement. And you were talking about circles where we can just kind of calm down again. Let's regroup. Do you, do you have that? And do you think that's a circle? What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I do have something like that. It's um, so basically we reward the smallest try. Okay. So when we're teaching something new, say we're teaching a side pass. If we have a horse, we'll set them up, facing a fence so it's really easy they're not moving forward the person's not pulling on them and then we just ask them to move sideways and if they give us even a slight try awesome you're done let's go walk around and then we'll go back to it so we don't stay and focus on it until we get a perfect sideways step okay. we focus on it until we get a try and then we go do something else and then we line back up and we try it again so we kind of build slowly and then once we get a real try where they go oh the horse kind of goes oh you want me to do this and they give us a real try, good job, you're done. And we put them away for the day and then we build again. So yeah. whenever we're trying new things, um, we will start it small and keep the lessons short. And you can tell if you're paying attention to your horse, you can really tell when they're starting to get frazzled. Yeah. And you don't want them to get to that point where they're frazzled because they're not going to learn anything there. No. So if you're fighting with him, he's not learning it. But if you can do it where he's just, you know, just getting to that point where he's like, okay, okay, I think I've got it. And then you go and do something that's easy for him so he can come right back down and then go back to it. That's the way it's kind of like the safe space that you're talking about. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And we don't necessarily have a circle or any specific movement. We just go off and do something that's very easy for them and something they know how to do well. Well, I love that you're building it slowly, right? Because... Yeah. If you get to that point where you're so frazzled, they're so frazzled, it's there. Nobody's, it's not working for anybody. And you always want to end on a positive note, right? So that, that it's like, Hey, this was great today. Even if it's yeah. early, it's okay. Yeah. Rather than pushing so hard where it's, it ends negatively. That's not a great way to wrap up the session, no matter what you're doing. And all of my students, I love all of my students because they're all, and I do, I mean, the people that work with me are people that I have this mindset too, but they're all very, honest and aware of when they get a good try and when they've done enough, whether it's them or their horse, I can stop the lesson and they'll have them sit down and in the middle and be like, okay, so how do you feel? And they're like, I think that was a really good place to stop. I'm like, I agree with you. Good job. And yeah. then yeah. And they get down and it's, it's really nice to teach that, that the people then become aware of, I've pushed my horse enough. He's done enough for me. We've both had a really good try. And if we keep doing it, it's going to go downhill. So I'm going to end here where it's good and we can build on it. And then you can build on it because the foundation yeah. just grows. Exactly. Yep. Tell, me, tell me a little bit about the new program, New Start and Mirrors. What's that about? So again, those kind of developed from all of this type of teaching. So mirrors, um, as all horse people know, horses are a huge mirror of whatever we're feeling, whether it's the body language we're presenting, the emotions that we're feeling, and they will react to what they are sensing in us. Yes. So what mirrors does is it takes somebody who has um, some sort of a traumatic experience 
or autistic or some reason why they're not in touch with their emotions and they're not presenting their body language the way that they want to be received as. Um, and it allows them to kind of get the information from the horse. So the class is done in a round pen with myself and then a student. And I teach the student how to read the horse's body language. So the horse can then start to teach them how to be more mindful about whether they're angry, whether they're anxious, whether they're sad, whether they're depressed, whether they're shut down. Um, it also helps them learn how their body language is affecting others. Wow. So if they are walking, and a lot of times people say, oh, my dog's afraid of men, my horse is afraid of men. It's not necessarily they're afraid of men, it's the way that men tend to walk. They're very upright, they're very rigid, they're looking straight on. It's very intimidating, it's aggressive, but it's very intimidating. Yeah. Yes. A lot of times, um, people who are autistic have, they don't have the social cues, so they might stare at somebody and come at them. And then people are like, oh, okay. Right. We'll pick up on that too and start to move away. So that way the horse can kind of teach them, okay, when you're walking towards somebody or walking towards a horse, you have to soften your gaze a little bit. You have to do this with your body, see how this feels. And then they're getting the immediate response from the horse because the horse is no longer moving away. And the horse doesn't judge, so they are allowed to do this as many times as they want. And same with PTSD. They, you know, people tend to get very aggressive. They stay in either that fight or flight mode, and they don't get out of that. So if they're constantly in that fight mode, they're very short-tempered, they're very irritable, they're very aggressive in the way that they walk, in the way they talk, in the way they do everything. They're very quick. And the horses don't like that necessarily, so they tend to kind of move away from them and try to avoid them. So the person has to learn how to soften themselves, how to do some grounding techniques and breathing so the horse wants to come with them. And then all of these techniques help them in the real world. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I've also been reading that horses help uh, the elderly as well, and also women who have been abused. So it's not just PTSD or autism or MS. And um, one of my friends has Asperger's, so they don't have the social cues either. They have them a little bit, but not to our heightened level, um, okay. but because they mirror so well, it's amazing how much the human can shift just, yes. just by the, the cues that the horse is giving off. Like I'm not dealing with you until you kind of calm down or breathe or get yourself situated over there. Cause I, I don't want to deal with that negativity. Yeah. And that's exactly it. All of our programs are all about empowerment, empowerment and independence and really learning how to self heal. So they're not talking about whatever happened to them. And PTSD can be a combat PTSD. It can also be from a rape. It can be from a natural disaster. It could be a death from a loved one. Like there's lots of different reasons why they have PTSD, but it all shows the same. So it doesn't matter what the trauma was. It doesn't matter what happened in the past. This is all about moving forward and finding a way to heal and move on with a life where you're going to find joy and you're not going to be stuck in that really horrible traumatic point in your life forever. It's really about getting to the next step. And that horse is so important in that step because they're not judgmental. The person doesn't feel like they have to be perfect because the horse will let them practice as many times as they want, make as many mistakes as they want. As long as they are kind to the horse, the horse doesn't care if it takes you six years. <laughs> right. right. So it's so much easier for the people to heal. I think that non-judgmental and, and giving grace to us is probably one of the biggest keys that they teach us and that it's okay if you're not perfect. I still accept you as you are, right? Exactly. Because we're so hard on ourselves. Other humans are so hard on, on us and each other. It's, it's just saying, okay, you know, we're all, I believe we're all flawed. Nobody's perfect out there. Even if you look perfect on the outside, we all have issues going on that we can work on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I did not know that PTSD shows up the same as if I had, say, lost a parent versus uh, a veteran. It still so presents itself the same, in the same characteristics? There's different ways that PTSD presents in each person, but it doesn't necessarily mean, like, if you have combat PTSD, it shows up as this way. If you have rape PTSD, it shows up as this way. It really depends on the person and the pathways that their brain made. Okay. So it's not necessarily the cause. It's just, you know, how the pathway happened in their brain and it can show up the same in different types of trauma. Wow. I didn't know that. Wow. 
What are some of the biggest challenges that you have with this, with what you're offering right now? So one of the biggest challenges is having the funding. The funding is always tough because the people that really need these programs don't always have the money to pay for them. Yes. Caring for the horses and running the farm does cost money. So it's not something we can do for free. So it's trying to find that middle ground where we can either find some grants or some donors who are interested or sponsors are interested in doing these programs and funding these programs so the people in need that can't afford it can do it. So that is always one of our biggest challenges. Um, and then the other challenge is really getting the word out about these programs and having people understand the value of them. So a lot of times, like people that are in the horse world and have dealt with animals can kind of understand it. But if you're talking to an insurance company or somebody who's never dealt with animals, they're like, yeah, right, whatever. Yeah. So they have no value in it because they haven't seen it. They don't believe it. They don't have the scientific studies that back it up, even though there's been plenty of proof, it's not been studied scientifically enough yet. Mm. So those are, those are our two biggest challenges. Do, do you have ways to combat that, to bring in some revenue in terms of, do you have like a, um, do you have raffles? Do you have challenges? Do you have um, any outreach? I mean, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. One of the places I worked, they had, I had like a, a really nice dinner where they had prizes and things. Regular people could come, but also sponsors were asked to come as well, obviously. Do you have anything like that? Yeah, we do some events through the year. Um, here with Horses and Hounds has a bunch of, we have a dog-friendly brew festival, which oh, you can cool. come and drink with your dog, which is a lot of fun. And oh, we cool. Have, <laughs> <laughs> we have walkathons. We have, um, we're organizing a food drive. And so we do have a lot of those types of events. And we've found that those are very good for our company when we do have, um, those events, they're well attended and they usually do raise a good amount. Oh, good. Uh, but it's finding that in between the events, like the online and the social media type of funding, how we get to people and how we draw them in. Yep. That's been a little challenging for us because it's, so it used to be like a certain number of places where you advertise things and people would always look at those certain number of places. And now it's just infinite. Yes. <laughs> like yes. Finding how to catch people's attention and their, um, just emotional connection with it and what yeah. we're doing that they want to go, Oh wow. I really want to help make this happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. How many horses do you have for this program? So right now we have four, we have our little miniature horse, Serena, who is learning mobility service. Oh, how cute. <laughs> yep. And uh, yeah, she's adorable. And she also does the therapy visits, which also does help bring in some other um, donations because we go and visit places. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and then we have our two mares that were rescued from the slaughter auction. We have Daisy and Gracie, um, and both of them came in pregnant and they were in an auction and they were, yeah, they were, yeah. And they both are extremely different personalities, which is great because Daisy is a very in your pocket, sweet, lovable. I want to be right on top of you puppy dog type of horse. So she's wonderful for people that have problems setting boundaries because they have to set a boundary with her. And they have to learn that even though you set a boundary, she's still going to like you. It's uh -huh. just now she's going to like you from a comfortable space rather than on top of you where you're worried about your toes getting stepped on. Wow. So she's great for boundaries. Um, and then we have Gracie who I'm not sure what her story was, but she had a very, um, she had an abusive past, but I don't think it was somebody who was physically trying to abuse her. I believe it was more that she was out in a herd being a broodmare and was only dragged in to do vet work and uncomfortable things and then put back out in the field. Huh. So she really has no interest in working with people. And it takes a long time to gain her trust. And she's more anxious about what's going to happen next than the actual happening. So she's really terrified of you putting on that halter. But once the halter is on, she's okay. She's like, oh, okay. But it's really that anticipation of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen once they put this on me? Right. So she is really good for the people that need to learn how to soften their body language and learn patience, learn to read the horse because she gives signals. She has a huge bubble that she's like, nope, I'm not okay with you any closer. So people really have to learn how to be patient and get really quiet and really centered in order to have her allow them to approach her. But they can probably identify with that because they have a big bubble too, right? Yeah. Exactly. Like, Stay away. Listen, I'm not interested. I got, I, I'm not dealing with this. I got enough stuff going on. I, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Cause she does have a lot of that 
um, especially people that have the fear side of the trauma where they're just terrified and they're shutting everybody out and they want to run away. Yeah. Whether they physically do or not, she's giving them a physical manifestation of what they might be feeling like they want to do. Wow. So when the person comes within five feet, they're like, oh, okay, I'm gone. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She really does show that and that it, it's building trust. And through working with them and trying to find a way to reach out and make a connection with both of those horses, they can heal themselves again. It's all about healing themselves and getting the tools for healing themselves without realizing they're doing it. Wow. Because then they can learn a lot more. Right. Yep. And then I've got my old man, Luke, who's 33 and he's fantastic and he's a master at the round pen. So people just learn how, I mean, you stand and you point your finger and he changes direction. So he's oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So he's wow. fantastic, but he's also a very anxious horse. So uh, if you take him into a spot where he's not comfortable, he will definitely, he starts to squeal, he starts to spin, he starts to, he loses his mind. Mm. So it's really good for people to understand where those boundaries are and you can start to move him closer to where he's uncomfortable and he gives you all of the signs all the way up so that people can really start to notice those signs and go, oh, he's a little bit nervous. We're going to stay here and work here until he's a little more comfortable and then move on. Because they start subtly and then they keep growing and growing until it's like, hello, can you hear me now? Because I'm freaking out over here. Exactly. So that, that's a great, I mean, they're so great at correcting us uh, <laughs> and letting us know where they are and what they need or, you know, maybe take me back a little bit. And as you said, just building on it slowly, you know? Yep. What's so fascinating to me is that horses can heal humans so much and yet what they've been through as a human, we'd probably be like, huh, I, I'm not helping anybody. Like I, I'm, I cannot like, and they still, after what they've been through and what they, what could have happened, which they know, I, I truly believe they know because they're so smart. Um, it's just amazing that they're willing to help. Yeah. They're really amazing animals and forgiveness is one of the best things that you can learn from a horse. The fact that they have the ability to be forgiving of humans in general when somebody shows them kindness and they're like oh, okay i'll try it again yeah and they always have that okay we're in a new spot it's a new presence and horses do i mean they have their own form of ptsd but they can get through it easier because they are in that moment all the time they're not thinking about what happened yesterday right and the kind human is actually helping them as well right yeah. because they're getting that reassurance that we're not all bad we're, we're all, some of us are really kind and grateful for having that work exactly and then, and then being able as a facilitator making sure that my horses trust that i'm never going to put them in a position where they're going to be in danger so that's my important role is that i have to make sure that when i'm working with people and my horse that my horse has time to decompress yes my horses are my co-partners they're my teachers they're not a tool to be used in it yes a little bit different than some programs that are out there and yes. so I am very, very conscious of teaching that person how to be better with that horse so that my horse then trusts me that, okay, she's going to take care of me. Even if this person is new and makes a mistake, my person is going to make sure that this pers new person is going to learn how to properly be around me and keep me safe too. How much time do they need to decompress after they've worked with someone? It really depends. Um, if it's not a huge traumatic thing, I don't think it takes that long. Okay. Um, so I think it really depends on the horse and it really depends on the person they were working with and it really depends on the facilitator and how they're managing the whole thing. So I think there's a lot of moving pieces. Yep. If you keep it where you're constantly mindful of the horse and what they're telling you, what they're needing and you, when they tell you they need a break, you give them that break. Mm -hmm. I don't think they need very long. If you keep pushing them past that spot where they need a break, they need a break and you just keep pushing them and pushing them, pushing them eventually they're going to shut down on you and they might need months or years or some don't ever come back. Yes. So it, it's very, again, it's just paying attention to that horse and what they're telling you what they need. Yes. Yes. So what are some next steps and what are some of your goals for the next couple of years this year and then next couple of years for what you're doing? Cause you're doing so many great things. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you got your hands full. <laughs> very full. They're very, very full. <laughs> but uh, I guess the next steps are really we're looking to expand this. We're looking to offer more programs. We're looking to rescue more horses. So, our immediate next step for within the next few months is we're looking to build a little shed and a round pen because we're trying to rescue two local horses that are in need. 
Um, we need to build another two stall shed in order to house them because we don't have any more space as okay. far as stalls. So that's our immediate goal is about 7,000. Um, and then from there, we'll be able to start the new program, um, the new start program, which is where we take somebody who's gone through the mirrors program and we pair them with one of the rescue horses. And then that person learns how to rehab the horse. So I'll be teaching them how to gain the horse's trust, how to start from the ground up, how to fill in any holes that might be there, how to basically start at the bottom and rework all of the training. And while they're doing that, evaluate the horse to see what kind of home they would fit in best for their next step in life so that they can be most successful. Wow. So again, teaching somebody to pay attention to the horse and what they want in their life so that the person who is rehabbing can find a good scenario for the horse that they just rehabbed so that horse has a successful spot. They're not just going to be bounced from place to place to place after they've been rehabbed. That's super important because yeah. that's the last thing you would want is to rehab the horse and save it. And then it starts being, you know, the process starts again. So yeah, right. that's really important. What's their mind like when you have rescued them? I'm sure very thankful, but are they uh, very nervous and still kind of like, I don't know what's going on here. Is this going to be, am I going to be safe? Or do they actually just relax right away? Again, it depends on the personality of the horse. Um, they're always nervous when they go into a new spot. But if they're more of the laid back horse that hasn't had a lot of trauma, but maybe it was more of a neglect case, they might come around a little bit faster. Or if you have a really high strung nervous horse anyways, they're going to take a lot longer. Or if they've had a really traumatic, abusive past, they're going to take a lot longer. So it just, it depends on the horse's personality. It depends on the situation they're walking into. Yeah. If you can put them in a situation where it's more natural for a horse, which as close as we can get it when they're in captivity, if they can feel like they're somewhat in a herd yep. um, and they can feel like they've got room to move and be safe, they can come back faster than if they are stuck in a stall for the majority of the day and only let out a little bit to either exercise and put right back into the stall. That's probably the worst scenario for a horse. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like our setup, we have stalls, but the doll doors are always open and they have a little pen. So they always have ways to go in and out and yep. then they're turned out in a field every day with, if they get along with other horses, they're turned out with that other horse in the pen with them. Yep. They have horses along the fence line. So they still feel like there's horses around they're in a herd. They're not the only ones having to look out for their safety, right. which does help. Um, yeah. And then it's just building the trust and it just really depends like Daisy and Gracie. Gracie has been with us for two years and I still, at this point, she allowed me to put a halter on when I first got her. Somebody else put a halter on slightly differently than I did. Not wrong, but just slightly differently. Since then, it's been a year I can't get a halter on her. Really? On, oh yeah. And she's, I'm just now getting to the fact where I can walk back up to her and just pet her without her moving off. And it's, she is a really tough case. She's the very unusual horse. Wow. But it's just taken so long to just do these little things. Whereas Daisy, she had her baby in the trailer when she was being shipped up. <laughs> and what? Yeah. Like Daisy's story is amazing. She came up from Oklahoma. She went into quarantine. They put her on the trailer to be shipped and we knew she was close but we didn't know how close um so that was in march and she went to they were in memphis around memphis and they stopped the trailer for the night the person went back to check on her she was fine he went back to check on her around four in the morning and she had a foal on the ground and it was freezing they had tornado warnings so he decided that it was safer to get on the road and keep going rather than stay where there's tornadoes with a newborn foal. Yeah. So he drove up to the next place where they had blizzard warnings. So he oh. had to end up driving up through the night with Daisy and this newborn foal on the floor because he wanted to get her to us as fast as possible. And it happened to be a month where we had a really super cold March. So it was negative 11 when the foal came. And Daisy, I had to take her off the trailer, and then I had to take this newborn foal who had contracted tendons and hadn't really stood up at all for the first, because he was in a trailer, he was laying down because he couldn't balance. So he hadn't really stood up much at all for the first 12 to 24 hours he was alive. And we had to then try to get him up on his feet, get blankets on him, get him warm enough, help him nurse, because he was contracted, he couldn't stand up to nurse for very long. And we had to do all of these things with a brand new mayor who's from a 
shit from a slaughter auction with her newborn foal. And I'm like, okay, I'm proud. I was expecting to get bit. I was expecting to get a little bit of aggression from her. And she was just immediately, I was, and I had to like hold him to get the blankets on. He kept trying to get away. So I had to really physically hold him down to put the blankets on. And she just came over and put her nose on my back and just stood there the entire time with her nose on my back. And then from that point on, I was kind of her person and she would give me hugs. And every time I walked in the stall, she would just rest her head on my head. And like, she did a bunch of really sweet things, but that was a total different personality. She knew that you saved her and her full. She knew. And you were trying to help her and her full. She knew. Wow. Yeah, she did. And there was no reason for her to trust me. She didn't know me from anywhere. And she did. So it really does depend on the horse that you get. I just think that's, that's what their instincts are. Their instincts are to help no matter what and understand that help comes in different forms. And you were the one that really helped her in her foal when she needed it. She needed help because her foal wasn't a bad, I mean, that's so cold for anybody, but a foal is like helpless. Yeah. And he had, and he was probably born early because the other horse came from the same farm. So they were probably bred about the same time. And the other horse had her, Gracie had her foal about a month later. So mm-hmm. he had really like, he was fully formed. He was good. He was healthy, but he had no body fat whatsoever. Wow. So that poor little thing had like six blankets on him. I used to have to sit up at night. We, I did so many overnights there and like negative 11 with a heat lamp and a heated blanket while he's sleeping and I'm cuddling with him. Aww. It was super sweet, but at the same time, it was really yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a little hard. That's a little rough. <laughs> Yeah, not exactly the first day you want to have at the pole, but yeah. But, he but was I'm, I'm glad you did it, and I'm glad yeah. that you, you you were able to save them both. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, we are too, and they've been both fantastic. Like my student adopted Memphis, which was the baby, Aww. and then uh, Daisy stayed with me. So Aww. yeah, they both have a great life now. You're doing so many great things with riders, with you know anybody that's had some trauma and saving horses. You're doing so many great things. I, I can't thank you enough for all you're doing. I so appreciate it. And we need more people like you that can help the horses because horses help humans. So I just think it's wonderful. How can people find you? Where, where can they find you on the web? Um, so we have our website, which is probably the easiest, website or Facebook. Um, on Facebook, we're under Heroes, Horses, and Hounds. And on our website, we are www.heroeshhh.org. Um, both of those have messaging. You can do that in both. And they have the phone number and email, too. You could email them. Phone. Okay, perfect. Yep. Um, Campbell Equine has the same. It has an email address on there, too. And Facebook, it's Campbell Equine. So any way people do that, they can reach me. <laughs> so if they wanted to do the yoga, they would do Campbell Equine? Yeah, they could do Campbell Equine, but the messages get to me either way. So okay. whichever message way they go is fine. Okay, awesome. <laughs> so yeah. we're going we're gonna to have all the links below so that you can reach out. I highly recommend that you do. He's got some amazing programs. I can't thank you for being here. I really, really appreciate it. And, you know, I, you know anything we can do to help you, uh, you know, if you have fundraisers or whatever you're doing throughout the year, I'd love to help you with social media because I think you're doing such great work. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. It was great to be able to talk about all this. Yeah, I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much. All right, everybody, I will have the links below. Go ahead and check her out because I know she'll be happy to hear from you. And even if you're just interested, I know she'd love to chat with you and help you with your horse as well. So thank you so much, Colleen. Appreciate it. Thank you.